1: Bollywood is for lovers. I'm Aaron Fraser. And I'm Matt
0: Bose. This week we're going to take an in depth look at Aditya Chopra's landmark romance, Diwali Dolhania Le Jayenge, or DDLJ.
1: We'll discuss the star making role for Shah Rukh Khan, as well as his legendary pairing with actress Kajal, and the film's enduring popularity and significance in Hindi cinema.
0: Whether you've seen the film hundreds of times or this is your first introduction, come fall in love. And if you haven't seen it, that's something that they say in the movie. Uh,
1: yeah, that's the tagline of the film. You ruined yeah. you ruined my inside joke, Matt.
0: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's for new people. We're helping.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome back, lovers, uh, to another what I hope to be, you know, exciting, interesting, and informative episode of Bollywood is for Lovers.
0: It better be.
1: Yeah, or, uh, <laughs> or you get your money back.
0: Yeah, you'll get everything you paid for this podcast back. Guaranteed. Uh,
1: Before we get into things, we have a new review, Matt. Oh, great. Uh, Once again, I want to thank everyone who has reviewed, uh, whether given a star rating or written a full review. uh, We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. This one comes from House of Glib, who says, I want to bottle this enthusiasm. Want to hear too smart, enthusiastic, and attractive, which doesn't matter so much on a podcast, but still helps people (laughs) discuss a fascinating subject that has gone largely ignored in Western culture since the beginning of forever? Then this is the podcast for you. Aaron and Matt will not only change the way you look at Bollywood, they will cost you money as you end up buying all of the movies they talk about that you can't find on Netflix. Worth every penny. Well, House of Glib, aka Alamott, does not want his money back yet. Yeah. So, that's that's looking up for this episode.
0: Listen to Alan. Alan knows what he's talking about. Hi, um, Alan. Hi, Alan.
1: I encourage anyone who's listening who hasn't left a review to consider leaving us a review. We will read all of them out on air. Um, and once again, thank you, Alan, for those kind words.
0: Yeah, and I want to also give a shout out to uh, the site that I am the arts and film editor at, The Pulp. Mm-hmm. We did a uh, roundup of interesting podcasts to listen to. I asked the writers of the pulp to all think of something good to uh, listen to, and uh, yeah, Cheryl, the uh, editor in chief of the magazine, said, "You know, you got to plug us too." So Aww. yeah, she she mentioned us and said she really liked us. So Aww, thanks, thanks, Cheryl.
1: Cheryl, um, and everyone who's left us positive messages on our Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, Those really encourage us to make more episodes.
0: We basically like everybody.
1: We do. I mean, well, we're lovers here. Yeah. We're lovers, not haters.
0: Mm -hmm. It's true.
1: Um, So, without, you know, any more preamble, let's get to uh, the topic of this week's episode. We are devoting an entire episode to this film because it is that epic.
0: It's it's reasonably popular, I might say.
1: Reasonably? It is insanely popular, Matt.
0: Yeah, we were trying to figure out if there was any movie in the Western world that's really had this much staying power. And we were thinking of all the people who would go see Titanic over and over again.
1: Gone with the Wind.
0: Gone with the Wind. But like imagine if that enthusiasm and more importantly like being in theaters for Mm
1: -hmm. 20 years
0: if that had continued and that's what you get with DDLJ. It's almost unparalleled.
1: I mean it's kind of like it has a bit of a Rocky Horror Picture Show appeal except not not it's in the not cult real, Yeah, vein. it's not really campy. Yeah. But like people go and they rewatch it over and over again and they recite the lines and they dance along. So it has kind of that community spectacle, Maybe except it's, more it's like, not like a cult thing. It's more like a just mainstream Bollywood thing.
0: Maybe it's more like uh, Les Mis or Phantom, where people will go see that a bunch of times.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Um, Yeah, maybe. It also, I think, you know, as we will discuss, has been hugely influential on what we see in contemporary Bollywood. Not just for giving us the megastar that is Shah Rukh Khan, but establishing uh, certain themes, um, certain settings, and certain kind of character beats that, you know... Bollywood continues to return to because they are so popular. It's so popular with audiences, and it's so entertaining. Yeah. So, um, so Matt, why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce us to the film for those that have not seen it?
0: Well, it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, we watched it two weeks ago now, and yeah, mm-hmm. just a really enjoyable movie. Uh, so Diwali, Dilhenia du, Lejane, which I'm not going to say again, uh, came out in 1995. Yeah,
1: it's probably more. Frequently called, just by its initialism, DDLJ. (laughs)
0: Yeah. The same way that Cabby Coochie Kabi Gum is called, K3G.
1: Yeah. These, I mean, these titles tend to be tongue twisters, at least for us who don't speak a word of Hindi. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they're simplified to some of these initialisms, it kind of still makes us sound smart without people laughing at our uh, terrible attempt to pronounce words in Hindi.
0: But the... uh the uh, title basically works out to mean, the brave will steal the bride, or the brave will take home the bride.
1: Yes, so uh, da'wale is um, big-hearted, or here brave-hearted, uh, Dil is heart, dahania means bride, and le jenge is a take away, steal away.
0: Yeah, so it came out in 1995 and is currently celebrating its 20th anniversary. If you uh, if you go on YouTube, there's been quite a few retrospectives
1: mm-hmm.
0: about the movie. Um,
1: and we're doing this partly um, partly because it's the 20th anniversary um, that just passed um, uh, a couple of months ago. It, it came out and initially came out around the time of uh, Diwali, which does a shift every year when it, when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because on December 18th, uh, Diwali <laughs> just mm-hmm. Diwali. With Shah Rukh Khan and Kajal, directed by Rohit Shetty, will be released. And that's probably going to be one of the biggest films released this year. One of the movies I am most anticipating being released on December 18th. And there's another one, Matt.
0: Bajaramastani.
1: Not Star Wars. Badger Amistani, Uh yeah. which, uh, it, man, that's a great year for, for, sorry, that's a great day for the movies. Yeah. Star Wars, Diwali, and Bajra Astani are Some, all coming something out. Something for everybody. Yeah.
0: I remember hearing on another podcast that uh, uh, Deepika Padukone, who's the star of Bajra Mastani, one of the stars, mm. was a little bit miffed with Shah Rukh that the movie's coming out the same day as hers. So a little bit see... of controversy there, but it's
1: yeah. it's definitely
0: shaping up to be a big battle over who gets uh, the most uh, audience
1: members. We see this a lot in Hollywood, kind of these you know battles of what movie like you know where they're releasing more like different cities are releasing big movies on the same day but i don't see this as much with bollywood and that's partly because they're not releasing as many big movies as hollywood um but this battle is is kind of you know that we're going to see at the box office on december 18th is kind of insane you know Mm -hmm. it feels like you know Oh, man, I'm going to make a, a, a reference here that uh, I think you might be proud of me, Matt. It's like Rocky going up against someone like Apollo Creed. Very nice. Creed, another film uh, just in theaters.
0: Yeah, that that is a reference. You did it.
1: <laughs> but back to uh, DDLJ. It's the first film directed by Aditya Chopra, who is the son of Yash Chopra, the current chairman of Rashad Films, and has received kind of insurmountable success, I would say, since you know, this film came out and he's done hit after hit and, you know, it's a big deal that he's going to be making a new one in the future. The last one he made was um, um, Rab Nirvana Di Jodi, Mm -hmm. um, which which was itself a huge hit and, you know, Yash Raj is very successful and very legendary company Um, and this, you know, is is the thing that's responsible for, for, you know, for this, for him.
0: The movie swept. As well as, you know,
1: a certain amount of Nepotism.
0: Yeah. The movie swept the Filmfare Awards, yes. i try and say.
1: Sorry.
0: Uh, won 10 of them, including most of the major categories. Mm-hmm. So...
1: Yeah, so, the you know, director, uh, actor, actress, supporting...
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Shahrukh Khan. It is Khan. kind of
1: like Titanic in that sense, yes. isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yes. Film stars Sharu Khan as Raj Malhotra, Kajal as Simran Singh, Amrish Puri... Puri? Who Western audiences may know best from Temple of Doom as Simran's father.
1: Temple of Doom is one of my favorite Indiana Jones. Random aside, I love Temple of Doom. Totally unappreciated.
0: Yeah, it's my second favorite. Like Raiders is my favorite, then Temple of Doom.
1: Yeah, but I think, and I think it's partly because Amrish Puri gives this incredible performance, and so it's kind of exciting to me to see him in his element for the first time.
0: Well, yeah, um, and Anupam Kerr who Western audiences, again, may know from Bennett like Beckham, Less Caution, and The Silver Linings Playbook, of all things, plays uh, Shah Rukh Khan's father. Mm-hmm. And he's dressed like a 1930s uh, director <laughs> for some reason. He's got a beret and a jacket and a uh, ascot it on. It's, it's weird. Anyway, so uh, Shah Rukh plays Raj, who is kind of a debauched rich kid. There mm-hmm. is a opening... Um, sequence that shows him just being awesome at all kinds of things, like... Except school. Except school, but he dri- he's good at driving his car fast, he's good at playing, uh... was it rugby? Or is it rugby or soccer? It's he's rugby. Playing. Okay, he's playing rugby, he's, he's good, good at, at that. He's swimming. He, well, he's not good at swimming so much as he is good at popping out of the water and swooshing his hair around. He's good right, at
1: that. Right, right. And... Um... Kind of 90s mullet hair, but it works.
0: Yeah, so we find him on the day of his graduation from university, and... Unlike any other university graduation I've ever seen, uh, they mentioned that oh, one student here actually <laughs> didn't graduate.
1: Why was he invited to graduation if he didn't graduate?
0: Exactly, like they're not they're not <laughs> counting the grades that day, anyway. Um, and he finds out that he actually didn't graduate; he flunked out of school. But rather than be mad at him, Anupamkara is actually pretty pleased.
1: Because he's upholding a family tradition. His great-grandfather wasn't educated, and his grandfather wasn't educated, and Anupamkara dropped out of university. So Raj is just, you know, continuing this, keeping the streak alive. Mm-hmm. Um, we should say that this is, it opens in London. Yes. Both Raj and Simran um, are members of the diaspora. They're non-resident unions, and they live in London.
0: Yeah, it's unclear if they were born in London. I think Simran was. Raj probably was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Emmerish Puri and Ennepam are definitely from the old country. Yes. But uh, Raj and Simran, I believe they're probably born in in England.
1: Yeah. Anyway. They certainly grown up in England.
0: Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, we find Kajal, Simran Singh is a young 16-year-old girl, kind of a dreamer.
1: Oh, she's not, she's not 16. She's like 18. She's also graduated.
0: Yeah, she's she's young, relatively mm-hmm. young. And she's um, she dreams of a man who, who will come and basically marry her, I guess. I don't know.
1: We should also say that uh, Kajal has the most magnificent unibrow I've ever seen, um, second only to Frida Kahlo's. Um, And she's kind of, like, nowadays gotten rid of this unibrow. But in this film, it's on full display. And she looks great with it. Yeah, she
0: looks fun. It's it's nothing to really uh, be weirded out by.
1: And her skin is so luminous.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) she's a young girl, kind of a dreamer. And she's dismayed to hear that the arranged marriage that her father put together is going to go through. She's never met this guy. She has to go back to... uh, Punjab, where her father's from yeah she's been married to him.
1: betrothed since she was a child to her father's friend's son mm-hmm. and so they're back in india and she has never met him
0: yeah so kind of concurrently both of them decide that they want to go on a trip across europe using this uh, euro pass and visiting various locations uh raj
1: various was- locations Switzerland.
0: Switzerland and France.
1: (laughs) We mostly see Switzerland.
0: Yeah. Raj just doesn't really want to start working at his dad's company or whatever. He just Mm -hmm. wants to keep slacking off. Whereas Simran, she kind of sees this as a way to, uh, you know, live life before getting settling down. Yeah. And she Mm -hmm. really wants to, you know, have some new experiences before presumably having to live in India. It's not really mentioned, but I don't think her husband would want to come back to uh, London.
1: No. And I mean, there is the kind of, I think this certain tension that, you know, she's been her father's daughter, you know, she's been a, a, you know, a good daughter um, and she's going to go from being, from being that to being her husband's wife. And she's never really had kind of time on her own to kind of be her own person. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this trip gives her the opportunity to have kind of, this last hurrah before she's forced to kind of lead a completely different life.
0: Yeah, so they both, uh, you know, decide to go on this trip. And they and get...
1: how does uh, Simran convince her father to let her go?
0: Well, she uh, <laughs> does some praying at a family shrine.
1: She acts super Indian.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, the YouTube series Pretentious Movie Reviews, mm-hmm. who review Bollywood movies, they're, they're pretty funny. Um, what the parts of what I can understand considering half it's in Hindi, but yeah, they're pretty funny. They, they get use, some
1: subtitles, pretentious movie reviews. Yes,
0: please. They use this as a good opportunity to show you how to convince <laughs> your Indian father to get you to do something. So just be super religious and super like different to your father. That's the opening. Yeah. That's how you get him to do something. Um, but Shah also meets uh, her father in somewhat less uh, respectable circumstances. So, uh, Puri Amrish Puri owns a uh, gas station in London, mm-hmm. and Sharuk is with a bunch of couple of his buddies, and he wants to buy a flat of beer. the uh, The gas station is closed at this time, but he. Uh, He's able to sweet-talk uh, Simran's father into getting him in because he says, Oh, I've got sinusitis. I really need a uh, aspirin. By the way, can I buy this flat of beer while I'm there? Um, <laughs> that would be cool. And uh, her father really, really hates him after this and thinks he's just kind of an asshole.
1: He's not a proper Hindustani.
0: Yeah. Even though he, he plays upon this Hindustani loyalty like, Oh, man, my yeah. headache's so bad. Can I get an aspirin, please? So... Right from the get-go, they're starting off on the wrong foot. And, um...
1: If this sounds like a lot of plot, this film is three, hour and t- three hours and ten minutes, and we've almost barely scratched the surface.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's maybe the first 45 minutes, I would say.
1: Yeah, so these two crazy cats, Raj and Simran, meet on this rail trip, and Raj is the biggest asshole.
0: Well, it's a classic meet-cute, right?
1: Yeah, oh yeah. The most classics of meet Cutes because we see uh, kind of this visually quoted in a lot of contemporary Hindi films. So Simran is running for the train and she's late and Raj holds out his hand to pull her up on the train kind of just in the nick of time and that's how they meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's an asshole. He, like, he is outright kind of the worst. But he really is. the his charm gets under her skin, her skin. They end up falling in love And the second half of the film takes place in India, um, kind of in the preamble to Simran's marriage, where Raj shows up to convince her father that he should cancel her engagement to his friend's son and marry off Simran to her. And they don't, um, even though Simran is open to eloping, they don't because Raj thinks it's important to Get her parents' consent.
0: He wants to do it legit.
1: Yeah. And so this film introduced kind of a couple of important themes and plot points that have become staples at this point of Hindi cinema. So it was the first blockbuster to feature uh, NRIs, um,
0: non resident Indians.
1: Yes. Um, you know, and to really kind of appeal towards the diaspora sentiment, um, which we see kind of. Fledged in Kabikushi Kabikum, mm-hmm. and it really solidified the diaspora as kind of an important audience worth marketing to. Mm-hmm. Um, also, before this film came out, there had been quite a lot of movies um, where, you know, people who, you know, weren't meant to fall in love did fall in love despite their parents' wishes and ran off and eloped. Whereas here, you have both, you know, that. On you know that salacious affair, um, though they don't consummate the relationship beforehand.
0: Even though Raj pretends they did, and probably the <laughs>
1: the worst scene in the entire film. Well,
0: not the worst scene, but definitely if you're the falling most. Falling its the most despicable thing he does.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a bad scene. Um, yeah, if you're falling in love with a girl and you get her drunk. Uh, which is, I mean, fun.
0: That's my favorite part of the That movie. is,
1: yeah. You find out that
0: Simran is actually kind of a pain in the ass when she's drunk. <laughs> stealing things, jumping into pools, <laughs> rolling around in the snow. Like, she's actually kind of a handful. <laughs> it's, obviously, it's obviously... She's a fun drunk. It's obviously her first time ever getting drunk.
1: Yeah. Um, but in the morning, you don't tell her that you guys slept together. Yeah. Like, that's... Awful! It's like hideous. It's a shitty
0: thing to do, Raj.
1: Nevertheless, uh, I st- I still admit I I fell in love with Raj by the end of the film. Well, um, he's a
0: different guy in the second part of the movie. He is. He's yeah. completely changed his tune, and with the uh, the piece we read at the Roger Ebert website, which mm-hmm. we'll link to in the in the notes, mm-hmm. mentioned that this movie succeeds on two levels in that. It is a kiby kushi gum style, which came later, but obviously it's it's in the style of you know listen to your parents. Your parents are always yes, right, exactly. But then you also get the forbidden romance angle, so it, exactly. it, it hits two different audiences. So it both meshes them together.
1: Progressive and modern and traditional, mm-hmm. and I think that aspect is really important to this film's enduring appeal.
0: There's something for everybody, honestly.
1: There really is. And, you know, I mean, it's melodramatic. Uh, it's kind of over the top in places. It has, you know, a lot of great musical sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, your favorite was The Drinking, The Drunken. Yeah. I think uh, I think my favorite was kind of this classic moment that I was waiting the entire film to see. Um, and it did not uh, disappoint where... Simran and Raj are reunited in what looks like a canola field. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of this sweeping romantic song.
0: Uh, canola is also known as rapeseed. It's only called canola in Canada. It's oh, canola. really? Yeah. Oh. Canola is actually an acronym. For? Uh, Canadian Oil Low Acid, I think.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: It's, you know, this has been canola talk.
1: <laughs> I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Um, that's... The, canola, the Canadian marketing board wanted to name it something else because rapeseed, obviously not an amazing name <laughs> these days. So, yeah, that's where the word canola comes from.
1: Well, it looks beautiful on mm. screen.
0: Even though, having been in an actual canola field, it's kind of stinky.
1: <laughs> well, it's... A, it's a like, strange- it's much less
0: romantic when you think about how that would have smelled.
1: Right. But it's bright yellow, and, you know, they find themselves in this field, and they reconnect. And it's, I think it's really, it's really quite beautiful.
0: It's a bit stinky.
1: Yeah. Um, what else are some of your favorite moments in this film? That.
0: Um, well, yeah, the scene where they meet in the canola field and the camera, you know, lifts up on a dolly and mm-hmm. pulls back, and that's really good. Uh, I like.
1: There's a lot of humor in this film as well. I
0: like. I like the second half better.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: because it's really interesting to see Raj play both sides of this wedding. Like he ingratiates mm-hmm. himself with. Uh, First, the groom's family by, uh, shit you not, setting up a rope trap and catching the groom while he's, while tripping his horse and then catching his leg in a rope trap and then saving him by shooting it with a handgun that he has for some reason. Mm -hmm. And then this is just kind of taken like, oh, this guy saved my life. And it's never really brought up again. Like, well, why was there this rope trap? (laughs) What was that? Like... Okay, does that happen a lot where you're from, uh, Samran's presumed husband? Um, but he he ingratiates himself with the groom's family by you know being a cool guy, saved him from a rope trap, and he's supposedly going to build a uh, factory in the area and give people lots of jobs.
1: A so, beer factory? Yeah. I mean, he loves his beer. Well, he's, he's
0: just making shit up off the top of his head, and he's drinking beer at the time, right? So he's like, you know, I'm going to build a... Uh, a beer factory. That's what I'm going to build. <laughs> and these guys... In Great the, Punjabi beer. Yeah, these Punjabi guys are just like... got like I use yeah. their
1: Punjabi livers.
0: Yes, just like uh, Do. But then I also like how he ingratiates himself... Are we going to start
1: himself. calling and Adele, like 3D, D3? Maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and if it gets re-released, it would be DDD3D. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see this guy who... We feel kind of a, kind of a jerk, but we know that he's amazing at everything and can be very charming when he wants to. Yeah. And it's fun to see him basically romance a family, like find yeah. something that everyone likes and then just kind of ingratiate himself.
1: Yeah. The second half of the film has a much more kind of Shakespearean comedy type feel.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think
1: that's part of why I got into it more because, you know, it has like this character who has to pretend to be somebody's not and it's about weddings like it just it feels um really kind of timeless and classical but at the same time you know really modern
0: yeah nothing about nothing about that story couldn't have happened 100 years ago
1: no nothing
0: uh the first half you know it's kind of a euro travelogue which is interesting
1: it is and it isn't because you know so like i mean this film also really set the set, like, help solidify Switzerland as this exotic locale that would reappear in Bollywood films all the time. And I think, unfortunately, um, for being a travel log, the Alps is really the only place that you kind of see. Although it does have this... And
0: Paris. The, you, you see quite a bit of Paris.
1: Are they actually in Paris, or are they just yeah, in looked, a room? It
0: looked like Paris. No, they're walking around. They go to the Eiffel Tower. Oh, okay. There's, there's a bit of Paris.
1: Um... Which does, like, their their time in Paris, and it doesn't look like this scene was shot in Paris, but they are in a ballroom. They go to some party mm-hmm. um, where they mostly just see an opera singer, and, uh, Kajal decides to, like, give...
0: Who's dressed like Fat Princess from the video game Fat Princess. Right,
1: yeah, it's kind of odd. Yeah. But Kajal decides to, like, give Sharuk a taste of his medicine and, like, invites him up on stage to, uh, play the piano and he pretends to be terrible. And then you discover he's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I also want to add that a young Karen Johar plays, like, a buddy of his. Rocky. Yeah, he doesn't get a lot to do or a lot to say. uh, But man, is it kind of hilarious to see him play this awkward nerd. You didn't
0: believe me. I was like, is that Karen Johar? And you're like, no, it can't be. And then I heard his voice and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Karen Johar. It
1: is. It's totally Karen Johar. I looked it up. So Bombay Velvet is not his uh, his only performance. He's also here in DDLJ. Um, I think it is uh, time for interval, Matt. Now that we have hashed out all of the uh, major plot points of DDLJ. Yeah. Um, So we are going to play... Uh, your favorite musical sequence from this film.
0: Imagine you just drank a bunch of schnapps after sleeping in a barn and then you're running around a small Swiss town generally causing shit. <laughs> That's what this song is.
1: Yeah, it's a fun kind of youthful romp. So this is Zara Sa Jum Loon Main from DDLJ. Zara Sa Loon Main
0: Zara
1: Sa Loon Main
0: so that was Zarasa Jumloon, Maine from DDLJ. And yeah, uh, I hope you feel refreshed by the mountain air. Wasn't that wonderful? <laughs> we all stole some cake or whatever. I don't know. I Simran ro- did a lot of crazy stuff in that.
1: I rolled down a mountain in a very short dress.
0: Yeah, and I <laughs> ran around a pool and jumped in with my clothes on.
1: Oh, God, seriously, that looked like the rolling down the mountain in the, the snow. And yeah, I mean, it's not quite a mountain, it's a hill. It um, looks so cold as someone who you know yeah. lives 80% of her life in winter and hates it.
0: I'm sure it probably looks romantic if you live in an area that doesn't get a lot of snow, but I was just thinking, God, that's, that's got to be super cold. I
1: know. And I'm like, you're getting snow in your underwear, that's, uh, but it looks great.
0: That's the worst, though. The only thing worse is getting a snowball to the face and then, well, it's stuck behind your glasses. You got to take your <laughs> glasses off. This has been snow talk. <laughs>
1: So, this film made Sharuk the megastar that he is now. He actually didn't want to do the film at first, Matt.
0: Hmm. He
1: that, turned that it seems,
0: down. Seems like a good idea that he uh, picked it up then.
1: At the time, he'd been really successful for being in a lot of negative roles. He Mm. wasn't, you know, the romantic hero that we know him as now. This is really... So
0: he was a villain.
1: He was a villain, yeah. This is the film that, you know, catapulted him to fame. And they actually offered it to Saif Ali Khan.
0: Mm. Uh, That would have been a much different movie.
1: I think it would have been, yeah. I think, you know, we... I don't know if it would have been as successful. And that's nothing against Saif Ali Khan. But... So much of the entertainment value and the likability of this film, I think, rests on kind of this inherently charismatic performance that Sharuka gives at the center of it, uh, which created, or maybe not created, but I think finally showed Sharukh's personality, what he brings, because I do get the sense that his performance here is somewhat uh, relatable to his actual persona. And I guess he did kind of feel that the storyline was similar to um, experiences he had with uh, wooing his wife Guari Khan.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: So what did uh, what did you think of Sharuk here in his star making performance?
0: Well, I mean, like we said before, he's kind of an asshole for the first part, but, but he's still but
1: kind of charming. Like, yeah, he, he you kind always of, want to watch him. Yeah, like I mean, he—I think he's a dick to Zimbran. Um, that being said, I think he kind of has this, like, boyishness that does win you over even in the first half.
0: I just wish he would tuck his damn shirt in. Oh, yeah, you he's should so explain this. So for most of the movie, I'd say, he's got one uh, half of his shirt front tucked in, and, and the, the other other's half just flopping of, yeah. out there. There's and a lot
1: of great 90s fashion on display here.
0: He'll have a plaid, you know, long shirt on top of that that's like... The bottom two buttons are buttoned and then the top is open. It's, if you liked the way people on Blossom dressed, which is kind of my go to for what I don't like about what people wore in the 90s, you'll like the clothes in this.
1: He also has, um, like this, uh, this fedora. That has, like, a little feather sticking well, it's, out of
0: it. It's like a Swiss guy's mountain hat. Like, yeah. Like an Austrian or... It's like a mountaineering hat.
1: Yeah, which has, like, a little feather sticking out of it. Which also, like, sits on, like, the... Uh, like, on the type in the interval as well as in the it's title. in the logo, yeah. Yeah, it's super cute. And he yeah. carries around a, a mandolin. Yeah,
0: and he plays the kind of main refrain of the movie... Which after he's gone and Simran is stuck with this marriage coming up that she doesn't want, she starts basically hallucinating that he's around and playing this song, which does get in your head. It, it is a it is a nice little ditty.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. Um, now this pairing with Cadil really established them as the big screen couple.
0: They're a Jody. The
1: yes, the big Jody, and they went on to do many other successful romances together. Um, and there's a lot of fanfare about them reuniting in Del Wale coming up. They haven't made a film together since uh, My Name is Khan, which I believe was 2010. I need to confirm that. Well, Rel- you, uh... It was
0: relatively recently, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, that's still five years, Matt.
0: Yeah, they're a good couple. Um, I think she is generally have to play off him. Mm. Um, actually, she's... I would say mostly a reactive character the whole movie. She's either hanging out with uh, Raj or doing what her dad tells her to do or, you know, meeting all these uh, aunties and uncles in India. Um, But
1: she's still got, like, this passion underneath. And I think, like...
0: She's willing to run away with him. She
1: is willing to run away with him. And, I mean, when Kajal's introduced, she's wearing a towel and, and dancing around her room. And so... You know, again, like the film itself, she's kind of straddling these, you know, modern sensibilities with these traditional morals. And I Mm -hmm. think while she gives a more understated performance, it's just as effective because you kind of see the youthful vitality in her that, you know, is itching to, to come out and express itself. But she's also, you know, trying to, her parents
0: you can understand why someone like raj would be so attractive at first repellent but then attractive to her because he has no responsibilities really Mm -hmm. he he can work at his dad's company later on but apart from that he's rich he doesn't go to school anymore he can do whatever he wants and that must seem really uh, romantic and easy for
1: her but he's also like You know, he has this rebellious streak, but she discovers that, you know, he also shares some of the same values that she has, you know, some of those Mm. traditional Indian values. And so, you know, both of these characters embody that best of both worlds mentality that the film Mm -hmm. is kind of built upon.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, together they really are you know, striking visually. They're both, you know, extremely attractive people who just kind of look good together. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a there's a sensibility under underneath the surface and, you know, almost like, you know, like one of those classic screen parents. Like, they feel just as kind of fun as, you know, your Myrna Loy and your William Powell.
0: Bogart and Bacall.
1: Bogart and Bacall, Kate and Leo, you know. Yeah. Like, there is something... I mean looking back on it now, you know, we're seeing this already knowing kind of how important their pairing is. And we've seen them in other films. But seeing, you know, the one that first put them together, it is still electrifying. I think it still has impact. And you can see why audiences gravitated towards that and fell in love with them as a pair.
0: And we should probably mention just how much audiences have gravitated towards this movie. Because it's astounding.
1: Yes. So this film is the longest-running film in Indian cinema history, and maybe ever.
0: It is is still running. It is still running. 20 years later. There is a theater called the Maratha Mandir in Mumbai that has been playing this movie... For 20 years.
1: Yeah, since its released in 1995. Um, they did actually end the run in uh, February after...
0: February of this year?
1: February of this year, after 1,009 straight weeks due to low attendance. Uh, the last screening had 210 people. and That's the, low attendance. That's because, low attendance. Yeah. And the cinema seats 1,000 people. Yes. Um, however, they've reinstated it. So it's yeah. it's still. Well, they'd be so stupid. They break. would be stupid
0: to not be showing it right now. I mean, it's the twentieth anniversary. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see maybe the seventh anniversary. <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't show it, but now well, there's a lot of fans again.
1: Like, I mean, show screened for five years, um, and there's been a, a, quite a number of other popular Hindi films that have screened for long periods of time. But twenty is kind of insane, and people you know, keep going to this movie. And so, like I was comparing it to Rocky Horror at the beginning of the show, it has this appeal where people want to watch it over and over and over again, and they can quote the lines and they'll dance and I think going, you know, yeah. we don't know, we've never been to India, we'd love to go, but going to see, you know, this film in this theater has a certain kind of traditional appeal from what I understand.
0: I wonder if it is closer to theater in that way because now I'm thinking there's that play that's run in uh, London
1: at mm-hmm. uh, The
0: Mousetrap. That's that that's gone for years and years and years and there's got to be something that brings people back to this kind of thing. I mean, I would probably go see Dune, Fairly regularly, if that was on screens, I would, I would, you know, I'd make time out of my day.
1: Well, I mean, there's there's something comfortable in the familiar, and when you really hit on something that kind of, you know, has these timeless values, that is kind of as enjoyable and entertaining as this film. And I think of like something like The Wizard of Oz, you -hmm. know, which you know continues to play on TV, Star Wars, Star Wars. You know, which I could watch umpteen times and never get sick of. It's. I could watch way. The Big Lebowski every day. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, really, like, really, I'm thinking like The Wizard of Oz. Um, mm-hmm. But I, but I agree. Like, there's all these movies that people just, you know, they don't tire of, and I think it's because it makes them feel good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It like this movie makes you feel good. It makes you believe in love. It makes you believe that you can get what you want and that, you know, it's not gonna be easy but that things things will work out in the in the end. It makes
0: you want to go to Switzerland.
1: It makes you want to go to Switzerland. It and people have gone to Switzerland because of this film. They even offer a a Yashraj tour in Switzerland where you can see places where this film was shot. And that tour only came into being a couple of years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well it's probably, you know, people who saw it fifteen years ago showed their children and now, you know, it's a multi-generational generational thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. It's a little long, but they all are.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't. And I don't think it feels its length, especially in the second half.
0: Yeah. It, if, you're, if you're concerned about the length, you know, watch the first half, putter around for an hour or so, do something else, come back. It's almost a different movie, to be honest, when you come back.
1: Yes and no. I mean, I think like it, it's kind of bifurcated in a really natural way because, you know, the first half of it takes place overseas and then the second half of it takes place in India. And it kind of, you know, in the way that the film straddles these two lines, I find these two halves are straddling these two lines. Like, I think mm-hmm. they're really kind of mere images of one another, mm-hmm. um, even though I did kind of prefer the second half.
0: Yeah, there's uh, motifs and actions that get repeated throughout. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's not quite like some uh, volume movies where the shift is incredibly dramatic between the two. But it does it does turn into a movie I like better.
1: Yeah. Okay, Matt. Um, so you mentioned earlier uh, an article on RogerDebert.com by Scott Jordan-Harris. Um, DDLJ, the record breaking Bollywood rom-com celebrating a thousand weeks in cinemas. So, uh, he wrote this in December 18th, 2014 to celebrate the thousandth week that it played in Mumbai.
0: So then nine weeks later, they canceled it after this, uh, after this, uh, article and now it's come back. And now
1: it's come back. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, and from what I've read, it wasn't off screens for long. Um, and this also echoes a, a sentiment that uh, Alan Mott was saying in the review that we opened the show with. That I, so I want to read this to you, and uh, I wanna, I'm curious on what you think. So Harris writes, "Nothing I've written about DDLJ will be news to anyone in India, but in the West, where Bollywood films are often indefensibly ignored, there are many readers to whom it is all news." It anchors me to think of critics who don't write about Bollywood, and it saddens me to think of moviegoers who never experience its joys. India has done as much for the movies as America, and there are as many great Bollywood films as there are great Hollywood films. Not to have seen Mother India, Piazza, or Sholay is not to have seen Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, or Star Wars, and not to have seen DDLJ is to have missed out on the good feelings that flow from one of the greatest feel-good films. I am curious on, on what you think of that sentiment, both about DDLJ mm-hmm. and Bollywood's films, kind of Bollywood films, larger space in Western film viewership and criticism.
0: Well, I do agree that they should be viewed more and they should be in the cultural conversation. I guess on my first viewing of DDLJ, which is the, currently the only one I've done, had I been told that this movie had not done well, I wouldn't have been surprised either. Mm-hmm. I think it's the sort of thing that needs repeated viewings to really sink home. Um, I'm fine seeing it once, but I would also watch it again. Like it's, um, do I, I not think I don't think I would be a member of the cult of DDLJ, but I did really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, do you agree that... It is kind of inherently feel good.
0: Yeah, it's. But I, I, there's lots of Bollywood movies that have a feel good ending in them. So, um, I, I don't know exactly what the secret sauce is. It might have just been, you know, an exciting new screen couple. Because we came to this after watching lots of Shahrukh Khan movies, and we knew about his persona coming into it, but yeah. seeing it emerge fully formed, that might have. Done something else.
1: Yeah, and I do have to say that kind of watching this film, I became aware of how so many contemporary, recent Bollywood romances I've seen and really enjoyed have been influenced by this film. And I specifically think of um, Ali Abbott and Varun Dhawan in Humpty Sharmaki Dalhanya, um, which explicitly references DDLJ in its opening by having Varun on watching a scene from DDLJ, mm. um, which is a romantic comedy that you haven't seen that I I really I think is really quite pleasant. Um, but what he says about Bollywood films being indefensibly ignored by critics I think is really important. Recently, um, a couple weeks ago, the latest Salman Khan film. So, you know, it broke the top 10, which is a rather big deal. And it made more money that week than things like Steve Jobs. You know, these prestige, mainstream, wide-releasing pictures um, that are actually reaching fewer audiences than these big Bollywood releases. Mm -hmm. And that's not every film, but you can't say that these films are playing to kind of a, you know, negligible minority in in North America, I
0: would be surprised if Wale doesn't hit the top ten. Possibly, Badger Amistani. Like um, when you market to the diaspora, something like sure, and Kincadro coming back together, it worked the first time. It's going to work this time too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also I,
1: think I, that you know these these films are you know just as enjoyable and sometimes more so for audiences especially those that you know want something like a classic hollywood musical than kind of the contemporary hollywood films and so i i I, i appreciated kind of coming across those sentiments in this article because it's one of the first times in kind of searching for and reading western bollywood criticism that someone really articulated it that way
0: my feelings on this are twofold one i feel like critics might not be Intentionally avoiding talking about Bollywood movies, mm-hmm. but they probably don't have the cultural background to talk about them in a way that they would like to be seen as knowledgeable about film. Right.
1: I mean, even you and I...
0: Well, we, we're putting it right out there. We're not experts on anything. No. We just started watching them because we like them. We're not going to say, you know, oh, a reference is this and this. We could do that occasionally. But if you want to play in the film criticism game a lot of the you know winning strategies are to be a smart guy who knows everything about movies. Mm-hmm. And if critics haven't had the time or the inclination to learn about Bollywood, to be able to talk about it effectively, I could see why they wouldn't want to talk about it. Secondly, and this goes completely uh, opposite direction, with the rise of poptimism and, uh, you know critics wanting to leave their ivory towers and feel like they're talking about things that normal people want, see, you know, everyone falling all over themselves for cartoons Mm -hmm. and um, Marvel movies, that kind of thing, wanting to delve deeper into these. I mean, you couldn't think of a more populous cinema than Bollywood. Yeah. Um, But it it might not be targeted towards the specific population that the critic may find themselves to be a part of. So, um, I think there are some reasons why it's not being done, but I don't think there are, there, there are any reasons why it should continue to not be seen in the same way.
1: And we certainly feel, I mean, this is why we're doing this podcast, that everyone and anyone can find something in Bollywood that they'll appreciate and be entertained by.
0: If you're the sort of person who goes to five or six big Hollywood movies a year And you just want to have a good time, you can be directed towards Bollywood films that will provide the same amount of enjoyment and um, good times. If you want to be challenged by a movie, you want to learn something new, it's an entire mode of cinema. Mm -hmm. There's films there for that too.
1: Yeah, I... I I was talking to a friend and, you know, I was saying that I find Bollywood kind of the most relaxing and entertaining of, you know, cinemas that I, that I frequent. But that's not me saying that I find it unchallenging because there are things um, that, that I come across in Bollywood films that I find very um, progressive and interesting and thought provoking.
0: And, you know, there there is something to be said about enjoying the entirety of the film culture and just discovering, Mm -hmm. like... Imagine if you'd never seen Star Wars, because at one point you never had seen Star Wars. You were a kid once, and mm-hmm. you happened upon Star Wars. Well, if you liked that experience of finding a movie that everyone knows,
1: there's, Dry DDLJ. there's
0: billions of people out there yeah. who have watched this movie. Maybe give it a shot.
1: I think the next exciting thing to watching a film or reading a book for the first time is seeing... Someone else, or recommending someone else watch or see a film for the first time. So I'm really thankful that you know we've finally caught up with DDLJ, mm-hmm. um, and I encourage anyone out there who, uh, who hasn't seen this kind of classic and landmark of Bollywood cinema to seek it out. Um, that's been a bit of a digression, but I think it was an important conversation to have,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I'm sure a topic we will return to in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's time to wrap up the show. I want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will be back in two weeks and we'll be looking at three films from filmmaker Sanjay Leela Vansali. uh, he has a new film coming out, which we've already mentioned, Bajra Mustani. Yeah. Um, so we thought it was a good time to take a look at his filmography. So we've chosen three films. Uh, we're not looking at Dev Das or Ram Leela because we're planning on talking about those in other episodes. Mm-hmm. So we will be looking at hum Dil De Chak Sanam, Black, and Guzerish. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, Matt, tell the people how you can keep up with the show.
0: Well, you can follow us on Twitter. At Bollywood Pod, you can find us on Tumblr, BollywoodIsForLovers.tumblr.com,
1: and you can like us on Facebook.
0: Yeah, just check um, BollywoodIsForLovers and in that search bar at the top there.
1: Please let us know if you have seen DLJ. Please let us know if you've seen DDlj or if you have yet to see it. And uh, what you think about this uh, classic film, did it resonate with you the way it has resonated with so many other Bollywood lovers?
0: Mm -hmm. Is there a movie that you could watch that many times?
1: Mm -hmm. Let us know. You can also follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Erin Fraser, E R I N E F R A S E R,
0: And I'm at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S.
1: I also do a weekly film podcast with Paul Matwuchuk called Trash Art in the Movies, the podcast that pits highbrow cinema against brainless entertainment and then declares a victor. And please consider leaving us a review and a star rating on iTunes. We will read them all out on air, and we appreciate every single one.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll come back in uh, two weeks.